Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at the MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hey, everybody, welcome back. This is DJ Hillier, and you are listening to another edition of the MyFit Podcast. This week on the show, I'm accompanied by top-level sports psychologist, leadership consultant, and best-selling author, Dr. Stan Beecham. Dr. Stan has worked with major league athletes, Olympic medal winners, and world-class business leaders on unveiling the key motivators and mental processes that drive people to victory. Dr. Stan also wrote the book, Elite Minds, How Winners Think Differently to Create a Competitive Edge and Maximize Success, which offers readers an implementable and maintainable way to bring conscious thinking to an unconscious process by aligning beliefs, thoughts, and behaviors to achieve their best. Uh, a couple months ago, I put out a post about who would you guys like to hear on the show, and somebody commented, Dr. Stan Beecham and also recommended that I read the book, Elite Minds. And so I did just that. I read the book. I really enjoyed it. As you guys know, if you've been following the show for a while, I love talking about sports psychology and mindset. And this aligned perfectly with my values and what I truly just enjoy conversing about. So after reading the book, I reached out to Dr. Stan. He's more than happy to come on the podcast and talk about the book. And here we are today. Some of the topics we got into are first, the mindset of the disclaimer. The first page of the book, Elite Minds, has a disclaimer page that I thought was fantastic. It's very blunt, straight to the point, and talked about how there is no short fixes in this world. And if you want to um, attain a sharp mindset, a winning mindset, it's going to take work. And it's not just a five things list or something that's going to come your way. Uh, very uh, interesting and also motivating way to start the book. After that, we talked about the power and belief. Then we talked about the difference between doing your ve- you're doing your best versus doing better. Oh, this is really interesting. After that, we talked about one of my favorite topics, which is the intention of why. I recently posted on my Instagram an excerpt from the uh, the book talking about Alice in Wonderland and how we need to have better intention about why we're doing what we're doing and also the path that we're going down. This really struck a chord with me, resonated with me, um, something that I've been thinking about a lot in the last couple of years, and it was awesome to see it in writing. Then we talked about the truth about winning. Dr. Stan has a whole chapter devoted to the truth about winning, and it was one of my favorite chapters of the book. So we picked that apart a little bit. And at the end, I asked him, What sort of things has he been thinking about uh, recently? This book came out in 2015 or 2016. I was curious that since then, what were some of the things that has been on your mind? And um, we kind of got onto a little bit of a tangent conversation, but something that I think is super applicable right now. And it was the idea of asking the right questions when you are suffering. And he says, when we are suffering, we either ask ourselves, what's wrong with the world that's causing my suffering? Or we ask, ourselves, what's wrong with me that's causing my suffering? 
two totally different mindset shifts and perspectives on why is the world out to get me versus what am I doing? What type of ownership can I take? What kind of changes can I make so that I'm not quote unquote suffering? I think this was really cool and, and it's something that sparked my interest. And we could have probably went on a whole nother podcast about that. And, and, and he said at the end that he's looking into possibly writing a book or having that subject in his next book. If you guys enjoy the show, be sure to leave a rating and review as that helps my day, makes my day and helps my show grow tremendously. I thank you all for the continued support. If you enjoy hearing uh, from Dr. Stan, make sure to go check out his book. You can buy it on Amazon. Again, it's called Elite Minds, How Winners Think Differently to Create a Competitive Edge and Maximize Success. Hope you enjoy the show. We'll see you guys next week for another episode on the My Fit Podcast. Let's go. Dr. Stan Beecham, welcome to the My Fit Podcast, man. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. It's good to be with you, DJ. I recently read your book that's been out for a few years now. It's called Elite Minds, How Winners Think Differently to Create a Competitive Edge and Maximize Success. And I've been doing this podcast now for close to three years. And some of my favorite shows are talking to people like you, sports psychologists, people talking about the mindset side of things. I think um, when it comes to a certain point in athletics, I think we all understand that your talent can only take you so far. And the mindset is really what can take you to that next step. And when you look at that highest, highest level performers, I think we got to see it in a big way in the last dance with Michael Jordan, just about how mindset plays such a pivotal role when you're at the top of the game. So I'm super stoked to get into some of the mindset stuff. And as, as I flipped through your book here, I thought what was really cool was the very first page when I opened it and read it. And it was a disclaimer. And I'm just going to read a little bit of it. And then I want to hear about why this is important for you to put sure. it the disclaimer sure. went like this. It said, do not read this book if you're looking for a quick fix, motivation, or just want to feel better. There's no such thing. Happy is for children. Being happy is not the purpose of your life. Being fully alive and awake is the purpose of your life. That includes the pain and the struggle that is a critical and necessary component to human existence. He went on to say, there are no seven habits, 15 characteristics, or 21 laws. There are no secrets or promises. If you desire a book that shows you the precise steps to a successful outcome, May I recommend a good cookbook, Julia Childs, to be specific. However, I can promise you that your casserole will not turn out like hers, even if you do exactly what she suggests in the exact order she recommends. Life is the same way. We think that by following someone else's recipe, we'll reach our destination. No, you will reach their destination, which will in turn mean that you are still lost. I loved it. And there's more to it. Tell me about why it was important, Dr. Stan, to put the disclaimer in on page one. Well, I guess I have this kind of disdain for self-help books. You know, just the premise that I'm, I'm going to read a book and take someone's advice and I'm going to magically kind of get my shit together. And I just, I just wanted to be very clear that it, that's, you know, it doesn't work that way. Like you have to do your own work. You have to cut your own path in the forest. And there's nothing wrong with getting some help and some motivation and encouragement to do that. But I just think people have this belief that they're going to, you know, read the right book or find the right guru or go to the right seminar and, and things are going to magically get better for them. And it, it's just not the case. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a never ending process. And my sense is, is that you don't ever get there. You know, the there that you're trying to get to 
like this is the time of year, right? It's the beginning of the year and people are setting goals or New Year's resolutions. And so let's say you do set some goal and you hit the goal, but then what are you going to do? You're going to start all over again, right? And, but that's okay because everybody's doing that. And uh, so there's just a lot of, I guess there's, there's a lot of people suggesting that they have an answer for you or that if you follow their recipe or their approach to life, that it's going to work for you. And I just want to be very clear that I don't, I don't buy into that. Um, I don't think that that's true. And, um, you know, so I, I actually think that was probably my favorite part of the book and I'm glad that you <laughs> caught it. Cause I think, I think some people, I think some people miss it. Um, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the part that came up to me too, is being the fitness industry, Dr. Stan, is that the quick fix part I thought was really interesting because I think we live in a world where a lot of people want that quick fix. And in my world, it's, you know, I want, I want to get my first pull up and I want to get it in January. I want to get it this month. And in reality, yeah. it's just a, you just need a lot more time to get after some of the things that you want. And the quick fix idea pops up in your book multiple times. Talk to me about how you try to um, portray that to your clients and, and why is having a quick fix just not a good idea for anybody, no matter what level you're at in athletics? Well, I think it's also tied in with this concept that, that, that people, what we're trying to do is we want my, we want people say, I want my life to be better, but they also want their life to be easier. Right. That it's, it's kind of like, I don't want to struggle as much as I am, or I don't want to have to deal with the responsibility or the challenge that I'm having to deal with. And so part of the fix is, is that I'm somehow my life is going to be better because I'm going to struggle less. And my belief is you don't want your life to be easier. And in, in fact, you want your life to be as difficult as you can manage, right? You want to take on as much responsibility, challenge and difficulty as you can tolerate. And what happens is, is that when you take on responsibility, and you take on difficulty, that becomes the new norm. And so now you're doing things that other people are avoiding, but that's just how you live your life. And so I think we have this belief that if we somehow do life right, that we don't struggle as much or we don't suffer as, as much. And I think it's just the opposite. I think that you should walk towards the struggle, right? Like when you find something that scares you or seems overwhelming, like head off in that direction. But understand that you're choosing to do that. And so then when you find yourself in the middle of something that's difficult, remind yourself that you chose the difficult. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the life that we want to live, live. And, you know, instead of setting a new year's resolution or a new goal for this year, you know, my advice would be find something that scares the shit out of you and go do that. Mm. Right. Like find a goal that really um, terrifies you initially. And then it gets to the point where it just kind of, you know, haunts you a little bit, but that that's really the life that we want to live. I mean, when you read other people's biographies and all these great people, I mean, that's what they did is they found something really difficult and they went for it that, you know, they weren't trying to live a, a carefree life, you know, at the beach. Um, so that's, you know, 
that that's my thinking about that is is that what gives life its purpose what really gives you meaning is not that you achieve something you know that you hit the goal the meaning and the purpose is in the day-to-day struggle mm-hmm. right and so i just don't think there's a lot of messaging about that i do think when our grandparents were coming up you know that there was a lot of focus put on doing your chores and behave in a certain way. I mean, you know, a hundred years ago, nobody was talking about self-esteem, right? right? And and we didn't tell our children that they were special, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> there were eight kids and you were no, you weren't any better than your seven brothers and sisters. Right. And, and so now, you know, the, the, the messaging uh, has changed and I think the intention. And so, I think people wake up and they find themselves really struggling and really challenged to get through the day. And their response is, Oh shit, this is not the way it should be. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is no, that's it. That is the way it's supposed to be. It's okay. And if yeah. you're not taking, and if you're not taking on a lot of challenge and you're not taking on more responsibility, you're going to get depressed. I mean, for me, and, you know, and depression is like tripled over the last couple of years, right, during this COVID time. But when I talk to people who are depressed, there's, there's two things that I see. One is they feel stuck. In other words, they're like living the same day, the same week, the same month over and over, right? So there's that sense of my life isn't progressing. And the second thing is they feel disconnected from other people. And so <clears throat> what you have to do, especially – you know, during this crazy time that we're living in (coughs) is not let yourself get disconnected from other people and not let yourself get stuck and to really work diligently to not let either one of those two things happen to you. The one thing that I think sets elite performers apart from other people is how they view adversity. And you were touching on just a little bit in your answering. We mm-hmm. talked about it in the book too. And when I see the most mentally sharp people in the world hit adversity, they almost have this feeling or this idea response of good. I'm glad this is happening to me. And it's kind of that next step of not only just accepting it. I think it's one thing to be like, okay, you know, the, the injury happened. Here we are. What are we going to do? There's another level that, you know, a Kobe Bryant shows where it's like, I'm glad this happened to me uh, because I'm going to learn something. I'm going to take something out of this. Talk to me about the difference between accepting something, accepting adversity, and then also taking it a step further and figuring out what can I take from this? I think there's a, there's a fine difference between those type of people. Well, if, Again, it's how you view the adversity. If you view if whatever's happening to you, if your response is this shouldn't be happening, right? That this is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. You're going to deal with it very differently than if you say, well, of course, this is happening to me. You know, it's kind of like, you know, if you get sick, whether it be COVID or cancer or whatever, you know, if you view this as, well, this shouldn't have happened to me. That's very different than, well, it's my turn. Right. Right. And so when I've had injury and illness, my response is, well, it's my turn. Like, who am I to think that I'm not supposed to get sick or that I'm immune from all the difficulties and challenges that people have? So what I think most people think of as adversity is it's just simply something that you didn't choose or want to happen to you. Right. 
So I, I think of I think of, of of happy is really you're getting what you want, and, and unhappy is is that you're not getting what you want. You know, you're not getting it the way that you want, and I really feel like we need to be really honest with ourselves about our response that when life hands you something that you didn't choose, right? I mean, this is one of the fundamental teachings of Buddhism, which is life is suffering. But the Buddha taught, you know, 2,500 years ago that you suffer not because of what happened to you. You suffered because you don't want it. And so what Buddhism is really is, is an exercise of learning how to shift your desire, right? And, and the essence of Buddhism is get to the point where you have no desire or you have no preference mm. or you have no will mm. that you, you're in this place of total acceptance. And so the Buddhist philosophy is, is you cease to suffer when you cease to have desire or preference. But if you understand that your preference is just something that you've made up inside of you, right? That you've told yourself it's supposed to be this way. Well, what if you're wrong? <laughs> Right. So, so that's the, that's the way I, I, I tend to, to think about it in a very Buddhist approach, which is you don't, you don't have to have a desire or a preference. How much do you think goes back to how much you can control versus how much you can't control? We talk to a lot of stoic followers, philosophers, uh, professors on the show, and they talk a lot about that. What are your thoughts on using that mindset, that mantra to determine your perspective, to determine, to talk about adversity, talk to me about what does it mean for you to talk about controlling what you can and can't control with your athletes? Well, what everything that you can control is internal to you, right? Which is your mindset, how you think, what you're saying to yourself, how you're treating your body. And then everything outside of you, you can't control. And the way I tend to encourage people to think about that is, is that it's not your business. Like, you know, if you think about the concept of just kind of minding your own business, well, uh, how you treat me and how you behave and what you do or don't do, that's none of my business. That's in other words, that's not about me, how I respond to you, how I respond to the situation. That's my business. And uh, so some people talk about it, what you have control over you know, that's one way of thinking about it. I don't control that. The other thing is it's really, it's not a concern of mine. Mm. So I think it's really important that we're very conscious with ourselves about what we're concerned with. And so, you know, you're concerned with things that you think have value, right? So, you know, if you think how other people treat you is really important, then you're going to really pay a lot of attention to that. But if you tend to think of how other people treat you is really not that important, then you would have a different response to that. So in other words, if you get really excited when you hear good news and then you get really upset when you hear bad news, you know, ask yourself, like, why? Like, why can't you stay neutral? In other words, if somebody says something really nice to you, if you think that's about you and so you feel really good versus let's say if you said, and, and you did kind of beginning, you said some complimentary things to me. I can view that as that's about me, or I could just view it as, you know, DJ's a good guy, right? And he treats people well, which isn't me at all, right? So I don't even have to have a response to that other than the fact that I view you as a, you know, a decent guy who's trying to do good in the world, right? So even though you're making a comment about me, I view that comment as really you're just telling me something about you. 
Mm. Right. That your compliment of me is really an opportunity for me to see who you are versus your compliment to me is about me. Mm. You follow me? So just, just that. So, you know, when I, when I, when I think about athletes, if we talk about that for a second, you know, like, why do you feel so good about yourself when you play well or you win? And why do you feel so bad when you play poorly or lose? Like you really need to look deeply into that. You follow me? Absolutely. Like you really, if you win the game and you feel great, like you really need to ask yourself, like, why do you have such a strong response? Because mm. you're going to have a strong and negative response when it doesn't go well. I remember years ago, DJ, I was a sports psychologist at the University of Georgia back in the 90s. And I remember I was sitting with this kid and he was a tennis player and Georgia's had a great tennis player, tennis team, both men and women's for a number of years. And I remember the guy, the kid came into the office and, and he said to me, they just played. And I said, how did you do it? And he said, I won. And I asked him this question. I said, what did you win? And he said, well, I won the match. And I said, I know you won the tennis match, but what did you win? Like, in other words, like, how are you better off? You know, and so we got into this kind of 15 minute discussion about this. And what I was trying to get him to see is, <clears throat> did you really win any, when you win, did you really win anything at all? Mm. Or, or did you just for a moment feel good about yourself? Right. So if I need to win to feel good about myself, then I probably don't really feel good about myself. And, and, and when I play poorly, if I feel bad about myself, then playing poorly just exposed what was already there, right? But just to look, I mean, it's the same with success in business, right? I mean, I, I do a lot of, you know, corporate consulting and I work with people who you and I would, would think of as successful and very wealthy, but I wouldn't want to trade places with them like their overall quality of life, they look pretty miserable to me, but they've achieved a lot. And then I know people who have, you know, very kind of traditional blue collar jobs where they, you know, they're an employee, they have no prestige, they don't make a ton of money, but they really enjoy their life. Mm -hmm. He said this whole thing about success and why are you pursuing it and what are you you know, hoping it'll happen because I think some people think, well, if I can become more successful, then I feel better about myself. You it's know, couple, or if, yeah. if, if I can win, you know, if, if I can beat you, at least I'm better than you so I can feel better than you. You know, that kind of mindset, like people don't really dig into it about what it is that you're pursuing. I think we should use sport mm -hmm. to, to get to know ourselves and and, and use that to challenge ourselves because we need difficulty and we need challenge to grow. And, and if you're getting that day to day in your life where you're really pushing up against the edges of yourself to try to, you know, reach your full potential, which I think very few of us ever get to, we don't really capitalize, you know, I agree a hundred percent. And I think we're kind of skating around or touching on the, one of the big topics of your book, which is the power of belief. And I could not resonate with this more. I just, I, cause I've, cause I've been there. I've experienced it firsthand on the power of belief, both positively and negatively. You say in the book, the power of belief, there are three, there are three primary components 
necessary to improve performance, belief, thoughts, and behaviors. Another quote was, what you believe is the most important thing in the world to you. Your beliefs will dictate your behavior and ultimately your success. If we can just take the next few minutes, Dr. Stan, to talk about why beliefs are so powerful and then also how can we use those as a as a weapon instead of um, something negative in our mind? Talk to me about yeah. the power of beliefs. It's a huge topic. I know yeah. you wrote a whole book on it, so we'll we'll try to get it all yeah. in a few minutes here. But yeah. talk to me about talk to me about belief. Well, the, the the first thing that I would suggest that people think about in terms of their belief system is where did you get your belief system? So if your belief system is basically what you hold as true, right? What you think is true. And it goes, you know, everywhere from religion to what you believe is true about you, to what you believe is true about other people, to what you believe is true in terms of what you're capable of doing. Okay. That whole belief system, which is kind of think of it as a software, right? Your brain is a hardware. Think of your belief system as a software. Well, if you've got a virus in the software, it's not going to work well. But my point is, is that most people's belief system they didn't create that. Like they didn't really sit down and say, okay, based upon where I am in my life, what, what do I know for sure is true? Like what evidence do I have? We don't do that. We adopt someone else's belief system. And for most of us, we've adopted our parents, our family, the culture that we grew up in. We adopted that belief system and we did it unconsciously and we did it as children, right? So, for example, I'm 60 years old. I grew up in the South in the 60s during the civil rights movement with all of that craziness that was going on and some of it's still going on. And what I think about is, is like the adults never told us what was going on. You know, when they like when they integrated the schools, you know, there was a black school and then there's a white school and then there was an integrated school. I don't have any recall of any adults sitting down and telling us children, like, here's what's going on. We just had to have to kind of figure it out for ourselves. You with me? And, um, <clears throat> you know, racism wasn't called racism. You know, those kinds of things, like the, the way things were labeled and how we were told things. And so you, you grow up in this culture where there's certain quote truths and you just adopt them and you don't even know what you're picking up on until you get old enough to evaluate your own thought process. And, and that, that's my point is that most of us have pretty strongly held beliefs and we never really thought about why do we believe this? Like, where did it come from? And it, and it, the answer most of the time is because somebody told you or you observed it. You weren't even told that you just, you just picked up on that. Okay. Um, and, and if you play the game that way, where you just adopt the belief system and you don't really think about it, there are going to be times when that belief system isn't going to work for you or it's going to limit you. And you're not going to know why, because you don't really know what you believe and you don't know why you believe it. And so I think for most of us, if we're really serious about growing and reaching our full potential, You've got to go back to that and look at some of the things that you hold as true, uh, primarily about things that you believe about yourself and what you're capable of doing, as well as how you view the world. You know, like, is the world full of good people or bad people? Is the world a safe place or a dangerous place? You know, and really dig into those things 
Um, and because if you don't, it's, it's going to significantly limit you. I mean, think about the people that raised you and the people that you grew up around. Like, did you grow up around really, you know, great people like who were doing amazing things or not? <laughs> you know, so like the, the belief system that you adopted, you know, whose belief system did you adopt and what do you know about their life? Right now, maybe some of, you know, the people listening, they grew up in some, you know, in a family where, you know, it was, it was, you know, pretty amazing in terms of the role models they got. But I would suggest that most of us, we didn't grow up in the environment. Um, and we were raised by parents who had a lot of self-doubt and really questioned their own ability. And so they in turn did that. And they said things like, oh, you'll never be able to do that. Right. Or, you know, you know, just discouraging or, you know, you should be a doctor or you should be a lawyer, you should be this, but you shouldn't do that. And so we've, you know, we grew up with other people telling us what we should do and what we're capable of doing, you know, and then as adult, you find yourself, you know, quite unhappy or even depressed and you don't know why. <laughs> well, that's probably why, you know, mm -hmm. is that you have a set of beliefs about yourself that aren't accurate and, and they're certainly limiting. So, you know, I encourage people to just to sit down, take a blank sheet of paper and just like write down all the things that you know are true that you're absolutely certain about. Right. And then after do that, then go back and like, what's the evidence? Like if I said, I think I'm a good person, you know, that's a belief I have. Okay. What evidence do I have that I'm a good person? Cause maybe I'll write down, I don't think I am a good person. I think I'm a bad person. Okay. What evidence do you have that you're a bad person or what evidence do you have that the world is an unsafe and dangerous place? Um, you know, those kinds of things really, really looking, you know, seriously into that. Because I think if you do that exercise, what you're going to find out is that it's a pretty short list of things that you're pretty certain about. Right. And that's okay. So, so maybe I don't know very much and, 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 and maybe I'm not sure about many things. I can tell you that in the course of my adult life, there's a lot of things that I've had to let go because I just, I didn't have any evidence for it. I didn't see it to be true. And, um, and I think it's really helped me. Hmm. Right. Fascinating. Yeah. It, you it, know, like, the, oh yeah, go ahead. I'm just saying not taking someone else's word for it, like do your own work. Mm -hmm. Right. Look, look, well, you know, look, look closely at the world around you and really see it for what it is. And um, be honest with yourself about what you're seeing, even if it's different than what you thought was actually out there. Absolutely. But that takes, you know, that takes a lot of work. Most it does. people, they're not, yeah. you know, it's like, I got to go to the grocery. I don't have time right. to do that. You know, right. <laughs> or I, I got to get back to work. I can't be sitting around and think about my, my belief system or, you know, and so that's what we do, right? We fill our lives with things like watching mm. TV, mm. Mm -hmm. you know, or playing video games. And, and, and all you're doing is just avoiding yourself. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely. a good thing about, you know, people who work out physically is if you think about it, if, if you're a regular exerciser, 
at least during that time, you're having to deal very intimately with yourself, right? You're having to really pay close attention to your own body and your own mind. Like that's, that's really good. Like those of us that grew up as athletes playing sport our whole life, I mean, one of the things that exercise and sport makes you do is it makes you pay attention to yourself, right? Like you can't really ignore yourself when you're, you know, doing pull-ups. Mm-hmm. So what is the difference in, you talked about the three primary components to improve performance. You say beliefs, thoughts, and behaviors. Dr. Stan, what's the difference between beliefs and thoughts? So a belief is something that you hold as true that's inside of you that even if you don't think about a belief, it still informs you. So let's say, for example, I say to you, I believe that there is a God and there is this benevolent God who loves me and cares about me and wants me to do well. Okay. Even when I'm not thinking about my God or my relationship with God, that still affects my life. Now, I can have that belief and then I can also think about that, right? I can believe that there's this benevolent God and I can think about this God. I can talk to this God. I can pray to this God. And then I can actually um, do things and behave in such a way as if I truly believe that there is this benevolent God, right? So in other words, if I believe kind of, you know, God's got my back, then maybe what I do from a behavioral standpoint is I take some risk and do some things, right? Because, and, 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 you, and you'll see this with, with some people of faith is they, they kind of go through life as if, you know, God has this safety net underneath them, right? And God's going to catch me if I fall. Well, that really plays out how you do things. Um, at the same time, you have people who's, who, who don't believe there's there's God, that they believe that that's just a story that we make up to make ourselves feel better. Um, so that's, a you, you follow me? So that's a relationship between a belief, a thought and behavior. The belief, the belief is inside of you informing you, even when you're not conscious of it. The thought is a conscious process. Mm-hmm. And then the behavior is, is actually acting upon it. So if you pay attention to those two things, what you will view is you will, you'll see people who will profess a belief, but yet they don't act upon it. Right. Right. And so these are people that you would say are, are not authentic or they're inconsistent is that they profess one thing, but yet their behavior suggests another thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? You see that you see that all the time in the fitness world. I think too, when people are setting these goals, right. They, they believe that, you know, they want to lose X amount of weight, but their behavior shows something else. <laughs> Yeah. Well, what are you willing to give up? Mm-hmm. You know, that's the way I think about, you know, you know, change versus transformation. Most people are interested in change because they view change as kind of like a Lego set where you're going to add on a new piece. Yeah, sure. You know, it's kind of like think about your house like, yeah, I'm going to add a garage onto sure. my house or an yeah. extra room at the house. So they think of that as changing the house or, you know, I'm going to paint it. But transformation is about, you know, killing something or destroying something first you know transformation is you you tear your house down and you haul it off and then you build another one on the lot that's transformation you know transformation is you know you burn the field and then you go back in and plant and so most people are interested in you know adding something on but they're not wanting to destroy something first 
And for me, transformation is very much about looking at your life and saying, okay, what do I need to kill? Is it a belief that I have about myself? Is it, is it a behavior? Um, you know, I pay attention to people's habits, you know, uh, because, <laughs> I, because I think it, I think it shows what you think of yourself. So, right. you know, if, if I don't exercise and I don't take care of my body and I don't have a healthy diet or I drink too much, or, you know, I use tobacco or addictive substances, if I'm doing all that, those behaviors really say what I hold is true about myself. Like if I can't give up sugar, right? Like when people say that, or I can't stop smoking. I mean, think about what you're really saying about yourself. Yeah. You know, what, what, what is, what is the value that you've placed on your own life that you can't let something go. And so I think people who truly value their life, they live a pretty disciplined life, right? Like they, they have certain things that they go, this is just inconsistent with who I want to be. And so they're able to, you know, either, you know, not drink or not drink for periods of time or really reduce their intake. Um, and they can do it where other people are like, Oh, they, I, I can never not do that. You know, I just, you know, if I can't have my two glasses of wine at the end of the day, I just don't think life would be worth living. I mean, well, think about what you just said about yourself. Right. Right. The short term versus the long term, I think that comes down to as well as are you willing to give up some of the stuff in the short term for a better for a better long term? It's what you the, the, the battle that all of us are going through, DJ, is it's what I want now versus what I want most. Yes. Yes. OK. Amen. Mm -hmm. And so what I want now is a bucket of fried chicken. OK, because I could put a dent in that thing. Trust me. That's what I want now. What I want most is for my cholesterol to be lower, my blood pressure to be lower, and to not die of heart disease. Okay? So one of those is going to win out, right? Mm -hmm. It's either what I want now is going to win out or what I want most to win out. And what you want to do is you want to structure your life in such a way that most of the time, what you want most wins out over what you want now. But you're doing that consciously, okay? Like, I, I said to myself this weekend, like, I really wanted some fried chicken. I didn't go and do it, but I acknowledged to myself, like, I could put a dent in some fried chicken. Like, I was really craving it. And I was like, it's okay, Stan. I know you want the fried chicken, but we're not going to do that today. Um, I used to use tobacco. I used to chew tobacco. And so now I'm, I'm, in, the, I'm in week three now of not chewing tobacco, you know? And, and there's certain things that, that cue me, right? And I'm like, like after I get off this call with you, I'm getting in the car and driving for about five hours. Now, that would be a time when I would put a dip in, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to do it. And so what I'm saying to myself is, is, you know, you can do it, but we're not going to do it today. Like, that's the dialogue, okay? <laughs> like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having this conversation like, Stan, I know you want to do that, and, um, but we're not going to do it today. And I go, okay, we won't do it today. So I'm acknowledging to myself that I could do it. Like, right, no one would stop me. Um, I'm not saying that I can't do it. I'm saying I can do it. I'm just not going to do it now. You follow me? Absolutely. Like when you, like when people are trying to break a habit and they say, I can't do that, you know, 
pay attention to, to the language that you use. I mean, I can do whatever I want to. I mean, I could, I can get in the car and go straight to KFC, get a bucket of chicken and, 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 you know, get chewing tobacco and, and rock and roll down to Florida. Right. <laughs> right. I know I could do that, but I'm not going to, but it helps me to acknowledge that I can do that. And there's a part of me like the, what I want now wants to do that, but what I want most doesn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is you have to really be conscious of this. And so that's what happens is when you, when you identify a behavior that doesn't benefit you and you begin to eliminate it, you're going to want to come back to that. I mean, it's, it's true with people who are like are in an unhealthy relationship, right? And let's say you break up with someone and it's an unhealthy relationship. I mean, don't be surprised that you still long for that person. You know, yeah. I have a couple more topics I want to pull out of the book. Another big one was best versus better, and I've heard you on a couple other podcasts talk about this. You've said yourself yeah. it, it can be controversial. Uh, and the quote that is the quote that is the chapter is "as better is the enemy of best." I would love if you could open that up a little bit. Yeah. So this is one of the topics where I've had people really get mad at me and tell me that I'm an idiot and don't know what I'm talking about because. <laughs> We live in a culture that's obsessed with better, right? And the whole message is you got to get in better. You got to be better. My problem with better is better is a judgment, is an assessment. In other words, if I said to you, hey, DJ, you know, you need to get better. You you, you hear that as a criticism, right? Yep. That you're not enough yet. Right. Um and so the problem with the concept of better is it's also future oriented. Like I can't get better right now. Getting better is something I have to do moving forward. And I believe in staying in the present. And so what I can do right now in the present is I can do my best. And so that is, that is the call to myself is to do the best that you can. And if you're consistently doing the best that you can, then think about that, how that affects your growth curve, right? Like, so for all the people who don't want to give up better and you say, okay, I want to get better. Well, okay. Then the way you get better is when you go into the gym today, do the best that you can, right? Mm. Like go hard so that when you think you can't do any more pull-ups, then do two more. And when you think you can't do another set, do one more set. Like, ask yourself to do the best that you can do. And what I have found is that interaction is much more healthy and much more encouraging than the better conversation. Right. So doing the best that you can right now, what you're, what you're doing is, is you're asking yourself to, to bring your full potential into that moment. And so I think when we do that consistently day after day, those people grow and develop faster than people who don't consistently access their best. And so that's my belief is that's the conversation you're having with yourself. You're asking yourself to do your best. The other thing is, I think it's really important that we know what we look like when we're at our best. Like there's a lot of people who don't know that, but you really need to be able to be honest with yourself. And, and sometimes, you know, I mean, human beings, we're organic, we're dynamic, right? We're not, we're not a machine. So some days the best that you have is you just got up, took a shower and got your clothes on. Like that was a real chore. And then there's other days where it's like, you know, you feel like you can change the world. 
So understanding that your best, your full potential fluctuates from day to day and, and, and being honest with yourself about that. The, the people that I see that are really obsessed with kind of perfectionism, part of the challenge I see with those people is no matter what they do, it's never enough. Never get right? enough for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they, ne- they always feel like they can do better. And these are the people that argue with me and they'll say, oh, but I can always do better. So I said, well, if you just did the best that you can, there's no better than your best because your best is 100%. Sure. And so part of the part of the better language, I think, is tied with the perfectionism language mm. is tied in with the, you know, you haven't done enough and you're not enough. And my belief is, is that your best is enough. And if you get to the point where you can be honest with yourself about your best or your full potential and you're striving to hitting that, how do you do that? By taking more difficulty, more challenge, more responsibility, right? Letting yourself be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the book, I talk about, you know, getting to this flow state. The only way that you get into a flow state is, is, is by challenging yourself fully and completely. Right. So if you if you take on if you're doing something that's too difficult or too overwhelming, you're going to be stressed out. So you're not going to be in a flow state. If you do something that's too easy, that's not challenge you enough, you're not going to be in a flow state. So do it. So we know from the research that doing one's best or being in that flow state or in the zone is about challenging yourself. Fully. But the challenge is something that actually that you're capable of doing. Mm-hmm. So that's another way of thinking about it is just, just do what you're capable of doing today. That's all you have to do, mm-hmm. right? Like you can't do something that you're not capable of doing, correct? Mm-hmm. Like that would be stupid to ask right. somebody to do something. Like if you can only deadlift 300 pounds and I say, right. okay, DJ, I want you to deadlift 500 pounds. You it can't do happen. it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what you probably can do is injure yourself. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's, it's, it's stupid to ask yourself to do something that you're not capable of. But if you are capable of deadlifting 300 pounds, then you should deadlift the 300 pounds because that's your best path forward. Mm-hmm. And you're actually going to actually enjoy your workout more and benefit more from it when you do what you're capable of doing. And that's what a good coach or a good trainer does, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Is they say, yeah, I know you don't think you can do one more, but you actually can do one more. I mean, we need people outside of ourselves who can see our full potential and can and walk us into that full potential or encourage us into that full potential there's very few people who can do that without help Mm -hmm. i I have a quick follow-up so what what is the conversation look like to an athlete dr stan who did give their best but didn't get the victory so their best wasn't good enough Today, it wasn't. Mm. But there's a tomorrow, and there's a next week, and there's a next year. (coughs) And what you have to understand is when you give your best and you you lose, all right, or someone else does better, is to look at that as an opportunity to find out something about yourself that you didn't know about yourself. But it's not, it shouldn't be an opportunity to feel bad about yourself. It should be an opportunity to see something about yourself and to, and to gain an insight or an awareness to yourself that you didn't have before. 
But if you know that you're using that defeat for the future, then you don't, there's no reason to feel bad about yourself, right? What you're saying is, is I'm going to incorporate whatever it is that I learned in today's competition where I, I did really well, but still lost. Absolutely. Because I'm going to continue to develop. And I'm, I'm, I'm not unhappy because I can see my path and I can see where I'm going and I'm going to a place that I want to be. And, and then the other part of it is, is, isn't it wonderful to be able to look at yourself and realize that you have opportunities to grow and develop and that you're not there yet? Because here's the deal. If you, if you were the best and, and you're at the top, um, that's actually not a happy place to be. Like, you know, if you, if you look closely at our culture, our culture is littered with people who got to the top. And then when they got to the top, they self-destructed, right? They killed themselves, right? I mean, you can see it with actors and musicians and athletes where they get to the top of the game and then they do something that's um, really damaging, that right? Yeah. Or they develop, you know, a, uh, you know, they blow all their money or they, you know, develop some addiction. Um, and, and we look at these people and go, man, you know, he or she was at the top. Why did they do, you know, why did they kill themselves? And, um, and I think that's an opportunity for us to look at it is that, you know, if you, if you do develop this sense of yourself that you're at the top and there's nowhere else to go, but down, that may not be a good place to be. <laughs> You know, yeah. That's I mean, really, that, that's El great. Elvis that's was great. the Elvis was the king, right? Right. Okay, and he died on the toilet. And you know, I mean, a recent example, you know, the you know Tony Bourdain or Robin Williams. I mean, you look mm -hmm. at these careers that these people had, and they were brilliant people, and they were geniuses, but but yet they they self destructed. You know, there was something about themselves that felt so empty and incomplete that the the best path forward was to destroy yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I love that. I got that. I got that highlighted here. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the best today. It's a very different concept than it wasn't my best. It just wasn't my best today. I love it. Um, I have two more things I want to go through here. Another, I posted this on my Instagram. I highlighted it. I really enjoyed this excerpt or, or expert from your um, book. I'm going to read it really quick. It's the intention of why it's a, a subject I love yeah. to talk about. And it's this great line in Lewis Carroll's book, Alice in Wonderland, where Alice and the uh, Shershire cat met at a fork in the road. Alice said to the cat, would you tell me please which way I ought to go from here? That depends a good deal on where you want to get to, said the cat. I don't care i don't much care where said alice then it doesn't matter which way you go per the cat so as long as i get somewhere alice added an explanation oh you're sure to do that said the cat if you only walk long enough the lesson here is that we need to know where we want to go you don't need to know exactly where but you better at least have the general direction i read this and i read it and i read it again and i just loved the idea of there's so many people it's like this is a a common um, theme in my podcast, Dr. Stan, is that people float through life. They don't really take the time to understand where am I going? What are the steps? It's very an, an intentional way of living. Right. It's uh, sorry, an unintentional way of living. Tell me a little bit about the intention of why and why it was so important for you to put it in the book. Well, um, I, I think people do things and they don't 
they haven't really sat down and asked themselves why. So let's take, let's just take your work. Okay. And, and you say, okay, I want to get promoted and I want to make more money. And then I say, well, why do you want to get promoted and why do you want to make more money? And you say, well, because that's what you're supposed to want. You know, I mean, I want to get better. And, 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 and then what they're really saying is, is that my life will be better, right? If I can get the promotion and I'm making, you know, $50,000 a year and at this promotion, I'll make $65,000 a year and, you know, then my life will get better. Um, you don't know that. So you, you, you're, you're pursuing this goal with this belief that certain things are going to happen, but you're not really sure about that. Um, and and I, I just want, I want people to understand just the whole thing of like success. Like, why do you want success? Well, and for most people, it's because I'm going to feel better about myself, right? I mean, that's, that's ultimately, I mean, why do you want to win the game? Because you want to feel better about yourself. Well, imagine feeling good enough about yourself that you don't need to, you know, get a promotion or win something. I mean, just sit with that. I mean, and imagine that you are enough as you are mm. and that and that if you if you did believe that you were enough, what would you do? And some people say, well, if I thought I was enough, then I would just sit on the couch all day and watch TV. No, you wouldn't. That is not the response that people have. And so that, that whole sense of, of why are you going after what you're, I mean, if like, you know, let's take the number one thing that people want to change, which is their weight, right? So here we are, we're at the beginning of the year. And so there are people listening and they probably say, I'm going to lose 10 pounds. That's great. But I want to know why you want to lose the 10 pounds. Like, why does it matter? And then what you might find out is, well, maybe it's not so much of the 10 pounds, but I want to feel like I can control my urges and my desire better okay because then you're free right right i mean if, if i can control what i want because that's the whole thing is that when you first start you know like you're you're not doing something but you still want to do it but imagine getting to the point where like what you want changes but then also imagine getting to the point where you don't want anything now would you still strive and acquire you would I mean, I can tell you, I've learned that in my own life that, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty happy with what I have. I don't wake up thinking I need to, you know, go buy this or that. And, and people, when I try to explain to people that I don't really want anything, they think of that as kind of sad. <laughs> like, that'd be terrible to not want anything. <laughs> well, um, what, what is, what is, to be at peace or to be content. What does that mean? I think it means that you want what you have, and that, you know, versus you want what you don't have. <clears throat> so just getting into this, why, you know, why am I pursuing the thing that I am? What do I think, you know, if I hit this goal or achieve this thing, what do I really believe is going to be different? Because what I found most of the time is people do that, but it's, it, nothing's changed. You know, you're, you're just a richer version of you, Right. I mean, you're still miserable, you, but now you have a bigger house and a new car. So that's what I'm saying. You need to be really honest with yourself about why you're telling yourself you want what, you know, what you, what you're pursuing. And then, you know, the whole issue with the, with, with the story of Alice is, is that sense of, you know, really being clear about where you're trying to go and why you're trying to get there. And what do you think is going to happen when you get there? Mm -hmm. Um, 
because <clears throat> I can tell you, I just took a vacation before Christmas and most of the, most of us were sick on the trip. You know, we went to, you know, Telluride, Colorado, which is this beautiful place. But I can tell you, I've, I've never been so happy for a vacation to be over, you know, because the last day I spent in the bed, you know, and I was like, you know, I came all the way out here for this. But, you know, so it's like, be careful what you, you know, what you're looking for, you know, because everybody's trying to get to paradise and what's going to happen when you find yourself in paradise and it's still you. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, and that takes a hell of a lot of self-awareness and probably just a lot of time in your thoughts, I would imagine, where we talked about before people are distracting themselves. We talk, I mean, all this stuff, all this stuff comes together, right? There's a reason that it's all in one book. There's a reason why it's all under the mindset umbrella, because if you don't take the time to think about why you're thinking or have the self-awareness, Dr. Stan, we're not, we're, we're just wasting our time with this conversation because you're not, you're not even thinking about thinking. Yeah. And, and, and that really is, how much time do you really spend alone sure. and, and, and really just kind of reflecting. And what I would suggest to you is that most people don't really spend that much time. I agree. I agree. Really, really just sitting with themselves and observing mm -hmm. like we don't in the West, we don't value that now mm -hmm. in Eastern culture, they do, you know, where, where meditation comes from, you know, what is meditation? Well, you know, I've practiced it, you know, for a number of years, sometimes more intensely than others. But really what the meditative state is to get to a point where you can sit and be and not think. And most people have never had that experience where they sat with themselves for a period of time and they weren't thinking about something. They were just sitting and being mm -hmm. like they have no idea what the hell that is. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, and, and it's getting it's, harder and, and harder, right? <laughs> With the well, world that we live scared, in, right? It scares, it scares the hell out of them. Like to, you yes. know, to say to say to someone, "Hey, you know, go spend the weekend in a cabin by yourself." Mm -hmm. Like, I think there's a lot of people that say, "Well, I just soon, you know, go ahead and kill me." <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And, no, no, and no uh, I started doing these long walks several years ago mostly over in Europe, like walking the Camino de Santiago and walking from, from Rome up to Assisi in Italy and walking the Canterbury Trail in England and, you know, just going and spending a week or two walking all day long, you know, alone and in silence. And I find, you know, great joy and peace in that. But when I tell people about it, I can just see their facial expression. They're like, oh, God, that just sounds miserable. Like, why in the hell would you do that? And I'm like, no, it's wonderful. Right. And they're just like, oh, I could never do that. You know? Yeah, absolutely. The uh, last topic I wanted to get into before we close down here is uh, in chapter sorry, 12, you talk about the truth about winning. I thought this was really cool. We touched on it a little bit here, but we can dive a little deeper. The quote I really liked uh, that you wrote was, Competition is simply each of us seeking our absolute best with the help of each other. This is a very different way to think about winning and to think about competition. Right. And kind of close down this conversation. Can we, can we talk about that? Yeah. So what, what I'm suggesting is the purpose of competition is not to beat the other person. The purpose of competition is 
using the other person to encourage you to go to the depth of yourself and to the fullness of yourself. So this takes something as simple as running, right? If I'm, if I'm running a race and let's say you're in front of me, you know, I might say to myself where I'm, I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to stay right on DJ's shoulder. Right. And, and if, because if I was running by myself, I would slow down. And so I might say to myself, well, he's staying at this pace, so I'm going to stay at this pace with him. You follow me? Mm-hmm. So that's an example of using the competition to encourage yourself to continue to strive and, and, and go forward. And so because human beings are social animals, I think that we can use the other one of two ways. I can use you to kind of drive and motivate and encourage me. I can also use you to do just the opposite to make me feel bad about myself. Right. Like if you, like if say we're in a foot race, you know, we ran a 10 K and you beat me, I can use that as an opportunity to feel bad about myself. Or I can say, well, I've been training with DJ and, you know, he ran the 10 K 30 seconds faster than me. And I know that that means that I can do it too, if I continue training with him. And so, you know, I talk about the word compete, which means to seek with, and, and I, and I, I think I made reference to the Harry Potter movies where <clears throat> Harry Potter, they play this game called Quidditch, right? Where his, his role is the seeker, you know, and that really is what competition is. It's seeking and we should use competition to find the best of ourselves. That's what you should be seeking. Not so much to beat someone else or feel better than someone else but you use competition and you use the physical and the psychological challenge to find the best of yourself. Uh, and the only way you're going to do that is to get in a place that is, is new and uncomfortable. Yeah. You, the, the sentence that opens up the chapter is there are two primary drives to win. One is healthy and the other is destructive. And how many times yeah. do we see that Dr. Stan, where somebody loses and it ruins kind of not their day, but their, but their month and, 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 oh, yeah. and, 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 and they don't, they can't bounce back because of it. Yeah. And it's a total shift of perspective when you start to emulate and live the lifestyle that you're talking about here. Cause when that, when, when right. you, when you, when you wear that outfit and you go into battle and you go into a game, the outcome isn't really what matters. What matters is, you know, how you, how you performed. Did you give your best? Like you said, like you mentioned before, and then also what did I get out of this? Right. It's much, much more of a different shift than it is. What's on the scoreboard. Well, you know that in our language, we, you know, we talk about someone being over competitive or super competitive, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and people will describe that, you know, like, you know, I hate to lose and I'm super competitive. That, that's not that's not about being competitive. That's about being insecure. You follow me? It's yes, like sir. overconfidence. Like overconfidence is not confidence. Overconfidence is also insecure. It's a lack of confidence. Overcompetitive is about not being able to compete. In other words, in in order in order to compete fully, you have to accept that loss is part of the process. You with me? So recently, I, I watched this movie on Netflix called The Alpinist. And, you know, it's about this guy who's a mountain climber. And, of course, when people see these guys, and Alex Honlon is another guy. He did that free solo movie, you know, where yes, he climbs. Yes, yes, yes. 
And so the average person, we watch these guys and we say, you know, these guys are idiots and they have a death wish and they interview all these experts. And of course, what they say is these guys are eventually going to fall and die. Right. right. And, and I view it very differently. I, I don't view that these guys want to die at all. What I view it as is, is they don't fear death. They accept that that's part of the process. Okay. There's a very big difference between wanting to die and not fearing death. Mm. And, and the people that live the most fully complete lives, these are the people that accept that I will die at some point and there is no guarantee and they've made peace with that. And, and I think that's what we really need to think about instead of trying to avoid death or avoid failure, except that that's, that's built into the system. And so if, if I'm not afraid of dying or failing, what actually it allows me to do is take greater risk. You see what I'm saying? And you can see this in everything. I mean, people who start businesses, it's not so much that they're smarter than you. It's that they were able to take their money invested in this new business and they accepted the fact that it might fail, but they said, okay, but if I don't go for it, I'm not, I can't live with myself. And so it, it, accepting that failure is a real thing and that at some point in time, your life is going to be over and, 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 and using that awareness that your life is going to be over to help you live the most full life, not to try to destroy yourself. <clears throat> so you know, I, I encourage people, if you haven't watched those movies like The Alpinist and that, I don't forget what Alec Conlon movie is. Is it Free Solo? or? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. 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 I mean, because yeah. I mean, when you see these guys, it just, you can't believe that a human being is actually doing this, that they're risking everything. But, you know, these cats are fully alive. Yeah. They're, they're, they're not depressed people who are trying to end their life. They're trying to find out what they're capable of doing and to, and to live any other way is unacceptable to them. Mm -hmm. um, last question here, Dr. Stan. So the book uh, elite minds, how winners think differently to create a competitive edge and maximize success. It's packed full of great information, 200 pages worth, but I would, I would uh, make the assumption that because it's been a few years now. And I know from interviewing a lot of authors that sometimes when creating and designing a book, there are things that get left out. They just either don't fit for some reason. They don't fit into the book, or maybe it came to you right after the book came out. You're like, damn, I wish I would have put that in there. I'm curious over the last five or now six years, I guess, is there something that you would put into the book now if you had to write a third edition? Oh man, that's a great question. And I, I think there's a, there's a lot of things that I think about. I mean, I have a whole, you know, I have a whole notepad of, of, you know, just uh, ideas. Sure. I could imagine. <laughs> um, and, um, uh, I'll just, I'll just, um, I'll just pull up one, right? So these sure. are just, this is notes from October 8th of last year. And I just wrote this note to myself and I said, you know, when we're suffering, we either ask ourselves, 
you know, what's wrong with the world that's causing my suffering? Or we ask ourselves, what's wrong with me that's causing my suffering? Okay. And so like when you're having a bad day, do you tend to think of, you know, the world is screwed up and that's why you're having a bad day or two. And then I went on to say, you know, most people hope that there's something wrong with the world. Right. Like what we really right, you know what I'm saying? Like when we're suffering, we really want it to be something that's wrong with the world. But in fact, we should really hope that there's something wrong with ourselves. And I put why? Because you have a much better chance of changing yourself than you do the world. And so, you know, what I was sitting and thinking about is that, you know, we're living in a time right now, DJ, where everybody's talking about, you know, what's wrong with the country, what's wrong yes. with politics, Yes. you know, the stock market is going to crash any day, you know, and so yes. this whole conversation of, you know, what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with these leaders and, you know, they're either telling us the truth or lying to us about COVID and there's all this sense of what's wrong with these, all these external things and I don't see, I don't see any benefit in that. I think the, the thing that we have to, if we're, if we're going to get unstuck is, is that how do I continue to crawl, cause suffering and make my life difficult? Or, or what is the inevitable suffering that I'm trying to avoid? Mm. You know, um, that's you great. Know, but, but, uh, again, I think you see what I'm saying. I think we're living at a time right now where everybody wants to tell you what's wrong with the world. Mm -hmm. What if there's nothing wrong with the world? What sure. if the world is doing what the world's always done? Okay, yeah. you know. Like I see all these people and they, they're, they're trying to, you know, fix the world or tell us right. what's wrong with the politicians. Like do your own work. Like, how about this? Like, why don't we all, every one of us work as hard as we can to get our shit together. Okay. Mm -hmm. And quit trying to fix the world and quit telling everybody what's wrong with the politicians. And, or if it really bothers you run for office. <laughs> but if all you're going to sit around and, 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 you know, and, and talk shit about how, stupid the politicians and the leaders are but yet you're not going to put yourself out there then you should probably be, be quiet and just work on yourself and so you know so those kinds of things i think i think it really does a lot of damage when people you know spend two hours every evening watching the news and basically what the news is telling you is what's wrong with all these other people in in, in the world i don't i don't think i don't see how that benefits you you know, like you're, I'm going to watch the news for two hours. And at the end of it, I'm just going to be really upset, <laughs> but I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> so yeah. I think, I think there's something going on there. I think I would, I think I would like to write about that. Um, I can tell you personally, DJ, I do not watch the news. I don't either. <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't read a lot of news. I mean, I'll nope. pick up like, you know, like what's going on with the pandemic. I try to stay informed. Like mm -hmm. I just got a, I got a booster shot yesterday. Sure. And so I did some research on, you know, which one I should get and why mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, there are people who go, Oh, it's, you know, it's all pseudoscience. Right. Um, you know, I was trained as a scientist, you know, I understand that you do research and, but none of it's ever conclusive. Right. I mean, we're, constantly learning so you're playing an odds game you're playing a numbers game and and you're just trying to make decisions that give you the best chance and then the people around you the best chance but 
I just, I, I see, I see the anger that people have, you know, about just kind of how things are going. It could be politics. It can be the environment. It can be the economy mm-hmm. and people just get so worked up. And it's like, mm-hmm. why don't you get, why don't you, why don't you get your fat ass in shape? Okay. Right. And why don't you sit quietly for 15 minutes every day, <laughs> you know, or, or go for an hour walk, like, like nail that down. And then, and then, and then, fi- and then fix the world. This, uh, that sounds like that could be the disclaimer page of book number three. I think you're writing the disclaimer page. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't try to fix the world. The world doesn't need you to fix it. Okay. Right. But, but uh, let me end with this. Okay. So, you know, you know, basically my message is get your shit together. Okay. And, and there's, and there's a couple of reasons why you should really invest a lot of energy in getting it together. And when I say get your shit together, I mean, you know, reach your full potential, become the human being that you could be. <clears throat> the first thing is that your, your own suffering and your own desperation and your own fear and sadness will be fundamentally shifted and you'll actually get to enjoy your life significantly better. And, um, and so that's, that's worthwhile. But I think that's actually secondary to this, which is the people that do the hard work of developing themselves and striving to reach their full potential. Not only do they personally benefit from that, but everybody who comes into contact with you mm-hmm. benefits from that. You with me? So in other words, if you're truly on your path and you're really paying close attention to how you're living your life and you're really striving to live a full life and, and be a psychologically, spiritually and physically healthy person, and you're really working on that intentionally, everybody who comes into contact with you benefits from that because you affect them. And then you also become a, a signpost. You know, you're a sign pointing in like, go in this direction, right? And people will actually observe your life and they'll imitate you. And that's a wonderful thing mm. because, because of the fact that you did the hard work to get your act together, you're now allowing other people to look at you as a model, as a signpost and get their life together. And that. I think is, is really a powerful testament to a life is that not that, you know, you know, that that you had a good ride, but that you really show showed and demonstrated to other people, you know, here's how you get there and here's how you live a life day to day, moment to moment. Yeah. Awesome, man. I really enjoyed this chat, Dr. Stan. I really appreciate it. Uh, if I want to point my listeners in your direction, if they want to learn more from you, obviously by the book, is there anything you're working on right now that you want to promote? Uh, no, I've kind of done with self-promotion. <laughs> I, uh, my website is, is drstanbeecham.com and there's stuff on there. Uh, and if someone needed to track me down, um, you know, they can, you know, stand at drstanbeecham.com is my email. Um, but no, I, I feel like, um, I've had my fair share of, 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 of good luck and, uh, and, and success. And I mean, I'm going to keep doing my thing, but, um, 
I, I think the whole concept of self-promotion, I think I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of tired of myself. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm at a point where I'm kind of tired of talking about me and, um, I'm, I'm at this point much more interested in, in learning about other people and kind of what they're trying to do. I mean, obviously I think the, how I live my life is, a is an encouragement or not to other people. Cause I think that's true for all of us, but, um, I appreciate you asking, but no, nah, right. I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep doing my little thing and you keep until, doing it, until the universe taps me on the shoulder and says, <laughs> okay, buddy. You're your done. Time's up. Yeah, you're done. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll promote it, man. The, the book is incredible. Uh, you guys can buy it, obviously, pretty much anywhere books are sold. Amazon, it's called Elite Minds, How Winners Think Differently to Create a Competitive Edge and Maximize Success. So if you liked kind of this conversation, we touched on a few of the chapters, obviously, some of the chapter headings, but if you want to dive in a little bit deeper, it's a really great and easy read. So go ahead and check that out. And Dr. Stan, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today and, and, and chatting through uh, your book and, and everything else that's going on. I really appreciate um, you taking the time out of your busy schedule. Yeah, I enjoyed it, DJ. Uh, enjoyed talking with you. And uh, sorry that the video doesn't work. Maybe we'll figure that out. We'll, f- we'll figure it out for round two, maybe. But uh, we'll thank you. One. Okay. Yeah, I All appreciate right. it. Guys, we'll see you next week for another episode on the My Fit Podcast. Take care. Take care.